question is often raised, does Christianity solve the problems of life? And if you'd say no, people say, well, then of what use is it? And if you say yes, they ask why so many Christians have problems. The truth of the matter is that we need to answer no and yes. For Christianity does deal with the problems of life. But it doesn't solve them all. That for two reasons. The first is that we live in this world and not in paradise. A world filled with all kinds of difficulties, problems. We're assaulted every day by, by a worldwide problem as we see it on television, hear it enunciated by the reporters, read it in the newspaper. And then there is our own personal life and all of the uncertainties about us. And so we find, as David wrote long ago in Psalm 4, that there are many who are enemies around us, bringing us into conflicts, spending our time in undoing the evils of the world and taking our energies and translating them into, into a kind of, of repair zone rather than a, a positive building area. We also say, no, Christianity doesn't solve all the problems because of who we are. My heart is not always right. I do not always do what I want to do or what I should do. And my will is not always in tune to be obedient to the, my inner sense of moral rectitude nor to the commands of my God. My mind is not always preoccupied with the things that are constructive, but I find all kinds of thoughts creeping in which destroy my inner sense of well-being and peace. And so no, Christianity hasn't delivered from all these ills. And on the other hand, yes, it has. Christianity does solve the problems of the world. It gives me the principles of the truth, for God has revealed himself and made his will known and his presence known in his incarnate being. He came to be one of us. He lived among us. We saw him, beheld his glory. He spoke to us not only, but he translated his life into words so that we may have the written word, but really the written word is only the documentation of who and what he was. God has given us this. The principles are there. The model was there. And the promises are certain. And so hope is born. And I do find a solution to the problems of the world as I 
I live in the presence of God as a Christian. Christian people struggle with living in this world and living with themselves and at the same time understanding the principles and the promises and the parameters of the Christian life. And so we say yes and no to so many things in our lives. And it's to one of those things that I would draw your attention this morning. psalmist recalls it in Psalm 4. He concludes the psalm with these words. I will lie down and sleep in peace. That's the conclusion of the rest of that psalm. It affords us that kind of luxury, although many of us do not always sleep well. Yet it's something we do every day. It's something we teach our children. It's something we know is important. And as common a thing as that is dealt with in the scripture and is touched by your Christian commitments. Yes, Christianity does have something to say about the problems of life, including insomnia. Let's talk about it a moment this morning. Sleep, a universal experience and concern. First of all, as I thought of this chapter, I, I looked at some of the data that we've accumulated today. And it's interesting how modern research affirms the things that the scripture said so many years ago. But we do learn some more detail. We learn, for example, that all of us sleep six to nine hours each day. We need that kind of rest. 5% need a little less, 5% need a little more, but statistically, 90% of us sleep and need either six or nine hours. One of the NASA behaviorists was wondering if we could pare that back by a couple of hours. And so Wills Webb did some research. He took 15 college students, put them into a control group, limited their sleep gradually until they were sleeping each two hours less than before. And then he carried this through for some extended period of time and he discovered that you cannot do this. People who need seven hours need seven hours. He also discovered some very interesting things, and that is that when people do not get enough sleep, you can measurably see a difference in their level of performance. It doesn't seem to hurt us physiologically too much, but it does stunt us when it comes to our perceptions of life, our judgment. It limits us in our reactions because we become more passive, less likely to follow our convictions, more likely to postpone things. We're not as interested in life. 
And you notice this in your children when they do not get enough rest. They do not perform as well at school. They tend to procrastinate and postpone things. And he tells us that's exactly what happens. You lose your self-confidence. You're not the person you could be if you slept well and according to your need. Chronic sleep loss, then, is a major concern. And Dr. Julius Siegel said regular habits are probably nowhere more important than in sleep. You cannot sleep, he says, at random and expect to enjoy a feeling of well-being. Perhaps that's part of the modern-day problem. When we go to bed when we want to and we get up when we have to, because we have been conditioned to do the things that feel good when we want to do them. And this also affects our sleep. How can we lie down then and go to sleep in peace? When we are not sleeping regularly, when we want to, as we want to, by fits and starts, and keeping ourselves overly active, the research also shows that imaginative and creative people have more problems sleeping because their minds are busier. And when they lie down in their beds, they do not expect to sleep because they still have things going on that need to be solved and processed. And then they suddenly realize they aren't getting to sleep, and then they become angry and start to do all kinds of things. But there is no button you can push. It's called the sleep button. And so we turn and resort to chemicals, which they say never replaces natural sleep. So the conclusion is, at the end of all the research, that better sleep comes from a consistent style of life. Insomnia, they say, is not a sleep disorder. It's a sleeper disorder. It has to do with who people are. And they tell us that when you turn a light off at night, that doesn't make you a different person than you were during the day. And that, I guess, is just simple logic, isn't it? And yet, somehow, we live as though we can do that. Now, all of this research and all of this talk about sleep leads us to Scripture, which has talked about this many centuries ago. Psalm 127, it says it's vain to rise early and retire late, for God gives sleep to those he loves. In other words, if you need your sleep, you need to get it. And there's no substitute for this. There's a consistency of life, a pattern to be established, and we need to recognize this. And if we need nine hours, 
We shouldn't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning even to pray. But if we need six hours, then we have 21 extra hours a week to do the things that God wants us to do. But the amount of sleep you need is like the size of your hat or your shirt or your height. It has nothing to do with being good or bad. It's simply part of you. And we all need to learn to adjust and we need to teach this early to our children. And then, hopefully, we can say with the psalmist, I go to sleep in peace. But that is not the confession of all Christians, is it? We work at it. How do you work at it? We think about it. We pray about it. There's no secret formula. There's no magic. It doesn't happen simply by saying it will happen. It takes them that same regularity of which the researchers speak. It takes what David discovered, and he talks about it in the psalm. First thing he does, he talks about those who would destroy his peace of mind. They come at him from all sides. It's a noisy life. It's a chaotic life. And I think back to his day and think, David didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were going to go through in the 20th century. We have one of the noisiest cultures that has ever crossed the face of the earth. And our children begin it with their headsets and their automobiles, which you can hear coming a block away. And you and I are never in a place where it's absolutely silent unless we really make it a point. For even now, you can hear the hum of the motors that are air conditioning this room. And often we hear the aircraft going overhead. And you walk out the door and you can hear even more from the traffic. It's a noisy culture. For the moment you get in your automobile, probably most of you have the radio blaring immediately. And when you iron or work at home, or when you're in the shop, there's always noise around for some reason. We love to live with noise. And the researchers tell us many people go to sleep with their radios on or their televisions blaring. And we're not people of quiet. And you come to that key verse in this chapter, the fourth verse, and it says there's another reason for your bed besides sleep. And David discovered that. And he says to us as he comes to that verse that what we need to do is we need to go to our beds, search our hearts, and be silent. You lie in your bed, search your heart, and be silent. And how many of us are aware of the necessity to have a time and a place for silence? This morning I would like to think with you about that because I think that this is a very personal thing. The way you sleep is up to you 
I cannot do it for you. Your spouse cannot. You need to do it. And it needs to come from within. And so it is nurtured in the quiet time when you're alone. And when you spend time on your bed, says David, apparently that's his quiet place. And he's quiet and alone. And he listens and he prays. There's something about being alone in the presence of God we all need to experience from time to time to afford us that kind of peace that David found. And we do have those times. I hope you've had yours. David Hubbard, the recent president of Fuller Seminary, tells about going to Scotland to study when he was a young man. He got up early in the in the night and went out on deck and there he was in the, the vastness of the North Atlantic with the cold wind on him and the lap of the, the water at the, on the bow of the ship. But he was there with God and something happened in God's presence in the vastness of the place. And he never forgot it. I remember going to Switzerland, to Lake Geneva, to talk to Paul Toynier about a problem. We visited through the evening. He dropped me off at my hotel, and instead of going inside, I went to the walk along that beautiful lake. Some of you will remember. And it was late at night, and there was no one there except me and God and there was that quiet time when I could really talk to him and listen for the guidance I needed and I never have forgotten that it's a time for covenanting again for recommitment both of myself to God and of God to me in terms of what he does for us. A quiet time on your bed, says David. Maybe it's the vacation that you're going to take. You can find a little time there. You can encourage your family to do the same. For things happen between you and God cannot happen any other way. This sanctuary is conducive, I trust, to that. It was designed for that. Shut the world out. In subdued lighting to give you a time each week to be alone with God, even though there's many of us here. A time when you can feel his presence. Renew your faith. A time of reverence, of holiness, of the beauty of the Lord. We're losing that, dear friends, in our generation. 
We want to even be entertained in church or we want to participate in church to the exclusion of being reverent, quiet, and silent in his presence. We need to think about this because the way of the Spirit is not the way of busyness and noise. It's the way of contemplation and solitude, prayer, and meditation. And David says you must get that right before you can say, I lie down and sleep in peace. Our greatest expressions of faith come from those hours. Sermons I make, I assure you, are not made at State and Madison. They're made in a quiet place where I can be alone. Think and ponder and pray and try to, to understand what we all need to hear God say. And out of that kind of contemplation there comes the presence of God. Paul Reese gives us this prayer from Bridgewater College in Virginia. We don't know who made it, but it reads in part, Let me do my work each day, and if the darkened hours of despair overcome me, may I not forget the strength that comforted me in the desolation of other times. May I still remember the bright hours that found me walking over the silent hills of my early childhood, or dreaming on the margin of the quiet river where a light glowed within me, and I promised my early God to have courage amid the tempests of the changing years. May I not forget that poverty and riches are of the Spirit. Let me not follow the clamor of the world, but walk calmly in my path. And though age and infirmity overtake me, and I come not within sight of the castle of my dreams, teach me still to be thankful for life. That came from a quiet time, I assure you. And if David says anything about sleep, he tells us that it's generated by being at peace with God and walking quietly with him alone, regularly. And we need to cultivate that spirit. Then we can say, as he said, when the grain and the new wine abounds, others are happy. But my happiness, my joy and peace surpasses theirs. Because I have found in your presence that my internal life and my external life are one and the same. When I come to my bed at night, I sleep in peace and in the security that you alone are with me.
As Christians, we will not have this always tailored and complete, but we will learn and strive and progress till by his grace we can say, when I lie down, I lie down and sleep in peace. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for touching the very basic things of life. The routine of body and mind. For giving us the peace that passes understanding that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for quiet times in life. Help us to be creative. Give to us the assurance of your presence and the abounding joy as we walk through life with you. Amen.